for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, for the display of your power that it was. So thankful of your promise to walk with us each day. I just pray over the next few minutes that we would that we would see you, that we would hear from you, that everything that is not you would be stripped away here. Soften our eyes, open our eyes, soften our hearts, direct us to your truth this morning, that we might know what it means to live lives that are honoring to you. Thank you for the privilege of being together today, Lord. We don't take it lightly. We're so grateful for the opportunity and the freedom that we have to do this. So as we open the word, we pray that you will speak in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever had a moment in your life that changes everything? I have. I've had a couple, actually. And the thing about my moments are that I remember exactly when they happened. The first one was on a Saturday afternoon. It was November 13th, 1993. It was 4.30 in the afternoon, Atlantic time. Okay, that makes a difference. That's an hour earlier. Atlantic time. In Somerville, New Brunswick, I married Melody. And that changed everything (laughs) in every good way. But not just in the romantic way that happens when you marry somebody that you love and commit your life to them. I mean, it changed my goals. It changed my priorities. It changed the way I spent my time. It had to. Because it wasn't just about me living my life for me anymore. Now, I had her to think about. And I had her to care for and to live life with. The second time it happened was on a Thursday. It was Thursday, July 2nd, 1998. It was 10.52 a.m., regular old Eastern time. At Maine Med down in Portland, Gavin was born. And that really changed everything. All three pounds and 14 ounces of him. He was a bruiser. Melody and I looked at each other and we said, now what do we do? Now how do we live our lives? Now we've got to change everything about how we live our lives because it's not just about us anymore. It's about him. It's about all three of us together. We had to recalibrate We probably all had a moment or two like that. Yours may be like mine, a marriage, a birth. But sometimes moments like that aren't cause for celebration. Sometimes the moments that change our lives are a loss. Sometimes it's an illness. Sometimes it's a diagnosis. Sometimes it's the death of someone who is a huge part of our lives. Or it's a financial reversal or a sudden job change. 
But whatever it is, on the positive end of the scale or the negative end of the scale, those events, those moments in our lives, they cause us to stop and think and change. In fact, we have to stop and think and change. We have no choice because life all of a sudden is not the same. Sometimes we like life best when we're just kind of chugging along, right? Day after day, stringing days together and weeks and months, and and we don't have to worry about change because we don't like it. We don't have that choice. It's not how life works. Of course, this morning we're here on Easter Sunday, and so we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is alive. I don't know if you knew that. He is alive. We were reminded of it this morning when, uh, when Melody and I got up. She had taken her phone off the charger and checked to see if she got any text messages about something to bring this morning or whatever. And, but, and she did get a notification. She got a notification from her Bible app. It was like a headline, and it said, Jesus is alive, <laughs> in case we had forgotten. He's alive. Or is he? I mean, that's the decision that every one of us has to make at some point in our lives. Do I believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Do I believe that he's alive today? Now, it's Easter, so we have a few more people here than we usually do on a Sunday morning. So I'm guessing that there's probably some of you here this morning that haven't really thought a lot about that, or you haven't made a decision to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. I just want you to know that I'm not here this morning. I'm not standing up here. The the point of this whole gathering together today is, is not to coerce you. It's not to twist your arm. Maybe somebody asked you to come with them this morning to church and you were nervous about it or you wondered what you were going to hear. I'm not going to try to try to make you feel guilty. I'm not going to try to make you feel bad for what you believe or don't believe. But I am praying that you will understand God's love for you. I am praying that you will understand that he is alive. I've mentioned this quote before. Some of you may have heard it or be familiar with it. It's Tim Keller, and he says it this way, This is the gospel. You are more sinful than you ever dared believe, and you're more loved than you ever dared hope. It's a classic bad news, good news situation, right? You are more sinful. I am more sinful than I ever dared believe. I don't like to think about it. I don't like to dwell on it. I don't like to admit it. But I'm a sinful person. Make a lot of choices in my life that I wish I hadn't made. You are too, by the way. The scripture tells us that, that all of us have made those wrong choices. But the good news is that you're more loved than you would ever dare hope. Because, see, this is the thing. When we think about our sin, we think about all those choices that we've made, all those sinful, selfish, prideful acts that we're all guilty of, we're tempted to think, well, there's no hope for me. 
There's no hope for me now because of everything I've done and everything I've thought and everything I've said and the places I've gone and the people I've hurt. But the gospel says you're more loved than you ever dared hope. I'm praying that you'll see the power of Jesus Christ in his resurrection today because the power of Jesus Christ is, yes, for that one day when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, the day of your salvation. There is a moment, there may be a process of your understanding what it means to know God and for Him that He loves you. That may be a process in your mind and heart, but there is a moment when you trust Him and He saves you. And the power of Jesus is for that day, but the power of Jesus is for every day after that too. This is what I want you to be thinking about just for the next few moments. If Jesus is alive, then everything in our lives has to change. If Jesus is alive, then everything in our lives has to change. One of the passages that we read a lot on Easter is Matthew 28. And I'm going to read that for you today. And as I do, I'm going to draw your attention to a few different things a few significant things that we have to learn from it. To give you a little bit of background, when we come to Matthew 28, Jesus has been crucified. Jesus is dead. It was painful, and it was really public. Everybody saw it. It wasn't staged. It hadn't been faked. That's what a lot of people say now. If you Google, did Jesus Christ really die and rise again, you'll probably get a million hits in 1.1 seconds that will talk about the hoax of Jesus dying and rising again. But But it wasn't a hoax. It wasn't faked. It was real. It was public. It was painful. Jesus is dead when we come to Matthew 28. And it was all planned by God for this. Now let's read Matthew 28. We're going to make our way through, and as we do, I'll notice a few things and draw your attention to them. Matthew 28, 1 through 7 says, Now after the Sabbath, that is Saturday, in the Jewish culture, the Sabbath was Saturday. Jesus died on the Friday. Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, that is Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb to see it. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Now one of the things that jumps out at us, first of all, we read this passage, is that every other religious leader in history, every other man who has come along or woman who has come along and said, I have figured out the secrets of life and death. Every other religious leader who has claimed that is dead. Every one. 
don't know if you've ever heard of Scientology. Scientology is a religion that was developed back in the 50s by a man named L. Ron Hubbard. L. Ron Hubbard was a failed science fiction writer. Couldn't make a living writing science fiction, so he decided to create a religion. And his religion said that if you become smarter and wiser and more understanding about life and the inner being, that there will come a day when you will be able to free yourself from all illness. You'll just get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And he taught this for 45 years until 1986 when L. Ron Hubbard died. Now the leaders of the Church of Scientology had a problem. The guy who had spent 45 years teaching them that there was no need to die, there was no need for the physical body to break down, had died. How are we going to spin this? So his second-in-command got up in front of the leaders of the Church of Scientology He made a public declaration. You know what it was? Our great leader has so advanced in his faith that he has decided that he no longer needs his physical body anymore. And so he has chosen to leave it. The founders of Every system of faith besides biblical Christianity have long claimed power over life and death, and all of them are dead. Except for Jesus, who rose from the grave after three days. Now let's notice what the resurrection shows us about living life as a Christ follower, because it's incredibly important. Remember, if this is true, it changes everything. First of all, I want you to notice that the resurrection shows us that being a Christ follower is about joy and not sorrow. Verse 8 says, So they, that is the two Marys, departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. You see, they had gone to the tomb to take care of a body, a dead body, but now he was alive. They were going to the tomb in sorrow, but they left, it says, with great joy. We don't come here together on Sundays to mourn. We come to celebrate. Trusting Jesus Christ, living life in a way that honors God is not about mourning. It's about celebration. It's about joy. It's not about sorrow. Secondly, I want you to notice that The resurrection shows us that being a Christ follower is about worship, not fear. Look at verse 9. Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took a hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So much of religion is about fear. Have you ever noticed that? It's about fear. It's about fear of doing too much of the wrong things or or not enough of the right things. But that's not what it means to be a Christ follower because Jesus has already done it. 
And this is about trusting that he has already done it. You noticed earlier it says they left with fear and great joy. They had a little bit of fear because they were a little confused about what was going on here. But being a Christ follower is not about fear. It's about worship. And so Jesus said, don't be afraid. And they worshiped him. They gave thanks. Friends, listen. If Jesus is alive, if all of this is true, then we should be worshiping him. We should be thanking him for that. And that's why we come together. I want you to notice that the resurrection also, thirdly, shows us that being a Christ follower is about caring for others, not just ourselves. Verse 16 says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I want you to just notice there that some of them had questions, just like some of you had questions. That's okay. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Go and tell other people what I've done for you. Listen, folks, if you believe that Jesus is alive, if you believe that Jesus has saved you and that this is true, then you will want other people to know that. You won't want to keep that to yourself. If you believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again and is saving you from an eternity in hell, then you will want the people that you love to know that also. And you will want them to know that they are more loved than they could ever dare hope. And I want you to notice this too. This is so key. The resurrection shows us that being a Christ follower is about Christ's power and presence, not our power. Look at verse 18 again. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the last part of verse 20 says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, here is the danger. Even for us that are here this morning, and I know there's a lot of you, and you're saying, look, I get it. I believe that Jesus is alive. I believe that he died and rose again for me. Even if you believe that, here's the danger. We can say the power of the resurrection is for that moment that I got saved. He saved me. And the power of the resurrection is for the moment that I die. He's going to take me to heaven. I want you to notice that the gospel of Christ and the power of his resurrection are not just for those moments, but it's also for every moment in between. Yes, Jesus defeated death and hell for us. Yes, we are secure in him. He is going to take us to heaven when we die, if we have trusted him. He promises that. But I want you to also understand that the power of Jesus in his resurrection cancels our past. It cancels our failures and our sin and our mistakes and our regrets. You ever gotten halfway through a project and wish you could start over? I've had a few of those. Ever decided, you know what would be a really good idea? Let's paint the living room. 
And so you go to Record, you go to Obishan, if you're going to shop local, you can go to Home Depot if you're a big box kind of person. And you walk in, and it's just like the angels sing, right? Because there arrayed before you are 10,000 color choices. And they're all organized, and they're on little cards that go from light to dark. And honestly, before I saw one of those the first time, I thought there were like maybe 10 colors in the world. Because that's all I can see. You know, it's either red or it's blue or it's white or it's black or whatever. You walk in and you see all of those colors. And you grab a few of them. Oh, I like this one and I like this one and I like that one. This one's got a pink base and this is a white base and this is a gray base and green base. And you take them all home and you hold them up against the wall and you stand back as far as your arm or you get somebody else to hold it so you can stand back. And you narrow it down to three choices. And you go back to the store and you pay two bucks and you get those little teeny samples. And then you go back with one of those little foamy brushes and you paint six square inches. And you stand back. It's definitely the first one. It's definitely that one. And so you go back and you pay $50 a gallon and you get two gallons custom mixed that can't be returned and you go home and you get the roller and you start rolling, you move your furniture and you put drop cloths and you start rolling and somebody else comes into the room (laughs) behind you and says, wait! Stop! That does not look like it did in the can. (laughs) Slam on the brakes. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, wish I could just start over. Now, is it just me, or are there moments in our lives that are like that? I wish I could just start over. I wish I could just go back to that time where I made that decision, and I just wish I could do the other one. I wish I hadn't made that phone call. I wish I hadn't gone to that place. I wish I hadn't said that thing. Bad decisions, failed relationships, time wasted. We all have a past. We all have moments that we forget. But Jesus knows that. And he died to take those sins to the grave. And when he arose, he left them in the grave. can save you. He will save you. He wants to save you. When you trust him, you are his. He never lets you go. When you die, he will welcome you into his presence. But what about from now till then? Because we like to take the reins of our lives. We like to say, Jesus, you had that moment and you got the last one, right? I mean, when I go, (gasps) and it's done, 
you got me. But in between, I'll handle it. Because we just like to take the reins. It's not like we actually say that. Of course we don't because we love Jesus and we want him to help us and blah, blah, blah. But when the rubber meets the road, who has their hands on the wheel? Us. We want control. We want to make the decisions. But that's not what Jesus intended. Because his power... And presence is with us every day. It's available to us to battle our sin and our doubt and our fear. We all face this, folks. Every one of us, if we're willing to admit it, maybe that's the key is our willingness to admit it. But every single person here, myself included, we battle doubt and fear and sin every day. The apostles battled it. Peter battled it. Peter said, Jesus, I love you. Don't stop at my feet. Wash my whole body. I'm yours. I will never stop loving you. If you know the story, you know what happened about four hours later? I don't know that guy. I don't know what you're talking about. I blankety-blank don't even know who this guy is. That's what Peter said. You can read it in John. He swore, he cursed, he blasphemed. I don't know what you're talking about. We all do it. We all battle it. But you don't have to do it on your own. Friends, listen to me. If Jesus is alive, then everything in your life has to change. If you really believe it, if he's really alive, if this is actually true, if the resurrection actually happened, then this must become the most important thing in your life. Resurrection is the proof of his power. And with the promise of his presence, you can live life confidently. That's why he came. That's why he died. That's why he rose for you and me. Jesus did all of this to create a people whose sins are forgiven. He did it to create a people who could live free from fear. A people with hearts full of love. A people with hearts full of gratitude. People with an eternal perspective. People who are willing to risk everything for other people. The power of the resurrection is not just for the moment of salvation and the moment you die. This resurrection power is for every moment of your life. And whichever person you are this morning, whether you're the person who has never acknowledged Jesus Christ, or you're the person who says, yes, I'm a Christ follower. If you've never acknowledged him, you need to make the choice to trust him for salvation. If you are a Christ follower, you need to make the choice to trust him every day. You need to leave behind your regrets and your doubts and your fears. And you need to stop trying to live in your own strength. I'm talking to myself now too, as well as all of you. And you need to let Christ do his work. 
You need to let the power of Christ transform your life. That's why he came. Friends, the name of Jesus is victory. He is alive. And the same power that raised him from the grave is available now to change your life. You don't have to live like that anymore. You don't have to wallow in your regrets and your mistakes. He can free you from those every moment of every day. His power is available to you and to me. See, if the resurrection is true, then that means there's nothing more important, nothing more urgent, nothing more necessary than trusting Christ and becoming his follower. Now, you have a choice. You can ignore it. I skipped over one section of Matthew 28. And if we would read that, we would find that the guards who were at the tomb, when they came to from having passed out from fear, when Jesus rose, they ran to their leaders, their bosses, and they said, what are we going to do? Jesus is alive. He ran out. He's, he is alive. He came out of the grave. And if you read that passage, what it says is that their bosses gave them all money. Don't tell anybody. Just tell people the disciples came and stole his body. You can ignore it. You can pretend it didn't happen. Or you can believe it and trust him and live in the power that Christ makes available to you. Friends, listen. Don't stay in the grave. Dead people stay in the grave. People who are alive come out into the light. And that's what Jesus has done for us. He's given us the power and the forgiveness that we can come out of the darkness of our past, the darkness of our sin and shame, and live in the light of his strength. Will you do that? Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for the power of Jesus Christ. I pray that everyone here will understand what it means to live in the light of his presence and strength. Father, you are our victory. You are the glory that matters in this world, not what we do, but what you have done. Thank you so much. In Christ's name. Amen. Will you sing this last song with us this morning? Thank you for coming today, folks. We are so glad that you chose to be with us. If you want to talk about what we've talked and sung about this morning, I'll be down at the front and some others for a little while. But I hope that you enjoy your day. Have a great week.